This is the Social Distance Podcast. Today I'm speaking with Lisa Phillips. Uh, Lisa is based in Phoenix, Arizona. We spoke first a couple of weeks ago, and since then, Lisa's mom, Renee, has become ill with COVID-19 and is currently in intensive care on a ventilator. So um, Lisa and I recorded this conversation on Sunday, July the 5th, 2020. Hello. Hello. Hey. How are Is you? Is this working? Yeah, it sounds, sounds Good. Very, sounds, okay. I was just trying clear. to log into Skype and uh, I couldn't remember my password. So it's good. It's I think good. that happened the last time. <laughs> <laughs> I use Skype like once every two years. So right. I, um, yeah. I think it's, a, yeah. I guess it's a very old fashioned um place to hang out is it it's probably also like been hacked and is in use by someone in china or something right right um i guess that's bad too (laughs) well if they're conducting you know bad business i guess it's bad but if they're just talking if they're just talking about their family i don't care that's fine (laughs) i can use my skype account Uh (laughs) uh-huh Uh, how are you? I'm hanging in there. Never been someone who gets up at 6 a.m. Like right. regularly. So that's, I'm basically a totally different person right now. Mm-hmm. What's, um, so, what's going on? Like, where are you? Are you at home? Uh, I'm at my sister's. I stayed the night here last night. Um, and I'm actually sitting outside in her driveway um, because it's, you know, during the day it's up to 110 degrees Fahrenheit here. So 6am is like six to, to nine mm-hmm. are kind of the only times you can be outside reasonably. Right. Um, it's kind of, it's sort of been our, uh, we developed sort of a habit now of, um, my siblings, all of us of getting up at six and like wherever, you know, at our houses or whatever, and like sitting on the front porch and chatting with each other. Mm -hmm. So I think we spoke on the 16th of June. And um, do you do you want to sort of sketch in what what happened since then? Because I think we'd spoken on a weekend. Oh, boy. And you were just on the you were just telling me that that your mom and and stepdad were going to have a karaoke night. Exactly. Um, there, I was so angry and frustrated um, because Maricopa County, where I, in the county where I live in Arizona, was opening back up their bars and restaurants. You know, kind of with no plan and no real guidance. There wasn't like mass guidance or you know distance guidance. They just sort of opened everything back up. And my stepfather, um, who is a, a Trump believer uh sort of you know decided it had it was worth it to him to start back up this karaoke night he hosts because he wanted 300 bucks a week that he was making from it um and you know karaoke singing is like i think it's you know they've done studies and singing is probably one of the worst things you could do inside 
with coronavirus <laughs> because, mm. you know, you're projecting and the air particles are leaving your mouth. And um, if you're inside a room, you know, the air is sort of circulating around. And so, yeah, he decided to do a karaoke night. We had actually thought about it, um, but I had kind of given up because he was going to do what he was going to do. But, you know, my mom was very scared. My mom's um, had asthma since she was a little kid and she's had a lot of other, you know, she's diabetic. She's extremely obese. She's, um, oh, you know, she's 65. She's got things that are like, you should not get COVID. (laughs) And I had sent her, you know, I had actually said to her, pretty directly and to him too mom can't get sick or she'll die you know and um you know I have five siblings and at least four of them have also said that to her that kind of made me feel better knowing we were all sort of saying it but also worse because because I hate that those were things I said to her given the state we're in now um so he did the nights he did the karaoke nights He'd probably already done them when you and I had chatted, actually, now mm-hmm. I think about it. Um, he'd probably been doing them for a couple weeks. And, uh, I don't know, like four days after we chatted, I'm going to say, it was about then. It was like Thursday, yeah. Yeah. Friday. Um, I get a message, and it's my stepfather's in the ER with tested positive for COVID, and he's very sick. Um and the moment that I heard that, I was like, oh, shit. That means my mom's going to get sick. And here we are. We're at, in my mind, the worst case that I've had, the worst case scenario that I've thought about since Corona came over, you know, to the U.S. Like, mm. it's always been in the back of my mind. Like, like, think about what's scary about this virus and, like, what I think of as the worst case besides, I guess, myself getting it and dying it. But, you know, I didn't really think about that. It's just, like, my mom getting it. Um, so she did, and she got sick. She started showing symptoms, you know, just a couple days, maybe the same day I texted you, actually. So and I, I I'm, the, I'm, Sorry, go ahead. So I, I, run, I run the time when... Um, when your stepdad went into hospital. Yeah, she, um, he went into the hospital. They didn't admit him. They kind of, and this is, I think what's interesting and different about COVID, um, especially for that generation, you know, the, you know, they, they looked at his lungs. He's very, he had been very sick at home and his oxygen saturation levels were pretty low, which is kind of what they tell you to keep an eye on. But they said, um, you're not sick enough for us to admit you because we don't really have a lot of hospital beds. Mm-hmm. So go home, despite the fact that you're like the sickest you've ever been. Keep an eye on your oxygen sat levels. You know, if, if they're in the low 80s, they never recover, which is like kind of insane. If, if, if we weren't, like if people know, I mean, like I've learned a lot about medical stuff in the last couple of weeks, but like if this wasn't COVID, you know, you in your oxygen level was like at 80%. Like you wouldn't just be like hanging out at home. You know, you'd be admitted to the hospital. Right. But because we don't have enough hospital beds, 
and because COVID behaves a little bit differently with oxygen levels, um, they told him to go home. And, and so he went home. And then basically my mom, you know, was sick kind of immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how long did it take for your mom to go into hospital? It took two days. She started getting sick on Friday. Um, and we, we had her, you know, we dropped, we gave her an oxygen saturation levels monitor and we had her report in the thing about them being at home together is my stepfather was so sick we couldn't count on him being able to take care of her right and none of us could go to the house to take care of her because they're they're in quarantine i guess exactly i mean we could have gone but we would have been exposing ourselves you know kind of the thing is this with a small house like that, if you go in, it's very hard. You're taking care of a sick person in a small house yeah. to like avoid, avoid getting it yourself. Mm-hmm. So my mom was at home. Her st- you know, they, her husband was so sick. He, he wasn't awake. And so basically my siblings, you know, we all got on FaceTime with her um, at least three times a day. Like, had her check her blood pressure and her oxygen stats and had, you know, checked in on how she was doing three to five times a day and just tried to call her as much as possible. I mean, while letting her sleep because that was the closest we could do to like physically being in there to help her. And we were really worried about her crashing at home. So she was at home. We were doing that. um, And she was sort of hanging in there with her numbers um, but every day it was a little bit harder for her to breathe. And then Monday morning she called her doctor with the numbers she had and they were like, you need to go to the hospital right now. So she called an ambulance cause her husband wasn't well enough to take her ambulance came and took her to the ER and, um, you know, you can't visit, um, the hospitals are all restricted now. There's no visitors allowed. And that, and that was, uh, what, eight days ago, nine days ago she went into hospital? That, right? that was, let's see, yeah, it would have been nine days ago. So it was Monday. Okay. What is it today? Sunday. It's so almost two weeks ago, actually. Right. Now. And, and what, what's, uh, what's been her um, progress over that time, like... She's well, there on day, her own. She is she in isolation. She's in ice. Well, the first week she actually stayed in. Um, well, yes, she's in isolation. She's in COVID ward, so everybody's in isolation in the COVID ward. Um, in the COVID ward, the way she described it, everybody's in their own private room, and nobody's allowed in the hallways. Um, the patients, you know, aren't allowed in the hallways, so they got they have to stay in their own rooms and anytime anyone comes in to see them they've got to have full PPE you know and I the first time I saw it it was so alarming I was on FaceTime with her you know just talking to her about her lunch or whatever and I see this nurse um, just doing something a random whatever checking her blood or something and I thought I was like it looks like you're on the set of the movie The Outbreak from like the nineties, I think. 
terrifying, you know, and, and, and basically she's just seeing, she's just seeing eyeballs, you know, no skin, no contact, Mm -hmm. no, um, you can't even see someone smile, you know, you can't see the faces of the nurses. You can really just see eyes. And and, and what's been her, her progress? It's been bad. Just every day it's worse. Um, I would say I'm on, you know, almost two weeks in the hospital and the news every day has been worse. Um, and, you know, at first there was a lot of optimism, like, hey, this is the virus. This is what it does. It takes a couple of weeks for the lungs to heal. Um, but, you know, my mom's lungs weren't great in the first place. Uh, they weren't strong. They've never been strong. And uh, the rest of, you know, she's not otherwise, the rest of her is he- not healthy, but, you know, not super sick. It's just her lungs. And every day the chest x-rays come back and her lungs look worse. And uh, they actually sent her home, which I think is a very weird part of the story. They sent her home after she had been in the hospital for three nights and they knew it was a bad decision because um, she wasn't getting great care at home. And uh, she went home. She was home for two nights. And, you know, I kept checking in on her numbers. The other thing is she would get really loopy when her oxygen saturation was down. So I'd be talking to her. I'd, she'd just wander off in the conversation. Mm. One day she... Um, she was talking to me and she told me I needed to pluck my eyebrows, which is like an extremely like normal mom moment, but also like didn't make sense in the context of us talking about like, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. And she's like, you should pluck your eyebrows. Um, which is true, by the way, I do need to pluck my eyebrows, but <sighs> it's like, I'm growing, I'm growing them out for like during quarantine so that they'll be fabulously bushy at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but my mom didn't like that. So <laughs> she's at home. I didn't like the sound of her. Um, I thought her brain was affected a bit. So I had her call the nurse line and they said, go back to the hospital. <laughs> so she went back to the hospital and she got readmitted right away. They said, oh, your chest, you know, your lungs look even worse. And the reason they sent her home was kind of the reason they sent my stepfather home. And two, they were like, you know, they sent her home with oxygen at least, but they were like, there's nothing we can do. Right. This virus is just, we, you just have to get through it. You just so, have to get so it, through the period of time. You, is it like the, the the most we can do is manage the symptoms and and hope mm-hmm. you can tough it out sort of thing? Yeah, that's kind of an attitude, uh, which frustrates the nurses. When I talk to the nurses and doctors, they're obviously very frustrated by it. I mean, they've been dealing with this for well, how long has this been since in March? Since March, yeah. So many, yeah, many many months, and mm-hmm. they're, they're frustrated. You know, but so when she got checked in again, I feel like they took it more seriously and they kind of were like, all right, 
she's going to be in here until the virus is over. And they started, which I wish they had done earlier. I don't know if it would have made a difference, but they started her on the trial from Desivere. They started her on the trial of plasma with the antibodies. Yeah. Um, so they kind of started her on the only known sort of network treatments for COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were optimistic about that. She was in there for, I think, a day. And then a day or two. And then um, I actually was talking to her on FaceTime when the nurse came in and said, all right, we're intubating your mom, putting her on a ventilator. I'm sorry, that's not that's totally the wrong timeline. It's hard to remember everything, but yeah. she ended up in the ICU. She ended up in the ICU. Right. And once she was in the ICU, the doctor said, hey, there's a good chance she'll be ventilated. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the beginning of the coronavirus, there are a lot of articles, especially out of New York, that were like, 90% of the patients on ventilators don't come off. Mm-hmm. So we were really scared of the ventilator. Like, we were really scared of her getting to the point where she got to the ventilator but the nurses were optimistic. They were like, hey, the ventilator will breathe for her. That's what she needs. She can't really breathe on her own. This would be good. Yeah. Um, so she got ventilated a few nights ago. And was that the last um, time you spoke to her? That was, yeah. Yeah. How, how was well, she actually, in terms she of had, her, you know, her spirits? I mean, how was she feeling? Scared. She was quite aware of her situation. Right. If she was awake, which I think she was awake a lot, um, she knew her state. She could see her readings of her oxygen saturation. She knew, you know, they, they want you to have your oxygen saturation in like the mid-90s and above generally. She could see that it'd be in the 80s. So when they started talking about venting, she heard it and that's she started texting me about what she wanted um, her wishes uh, for after her death because uh, it was really important for her to feel that certain things were um, going to be taken care of after she died yeah so I think you know she was very you know she was actually quite lucid she was aware of what was happening she couldn't talk she was on a full face mask she couldn't really talk, but we could kind of talk at her and she could text back. And, uh, but when she got ventilated, that was it. So it was a very scary process. I was on the phone with her and the nurse came in and said, you know, your mom's dropping right now. She's crashing. We got to get her on the ventilator. Um, and she was aware we were, we were on the phone, you know? And, um, so that was it. That was, that was me sitting by and, I haven't been able to talk to her since then. Um, when you're on the ventilator, they kind of want to sedate you mm-hmm. as much as possible. And, you know, I guess she was, if she was conscious, she was fighting the tubes and she was trying to breathe on her own. And so, you know, at this point, um, and I think it was a couple of days ago, I talked to the nurse and just was very explicit that, you know, we want, we want her to be unconscious 
and unaware and on really good meds to make her feel high. (laughs) I said that to the nurse. I said, I want her to be on drugs that make her feel good. So she's not in pain. Um, And I don't want her I don't want her to I don't want her to know what's going on anymore because you know I got the call from the, the ICU doctor yesterday and he said you know she's not her chances are not good and he expected her to go into heart failure you know pretty soon just because you, you can't be at you know, in your 80s and, and 70s of oxygen saturation for days and weeks. And they're out, you know, what they said to me is we're out of things to do. We have nothing left. We have nothing left we can do for your mom. So if she doesn't do a miraculous recovery, which, you know, is actually still an option on the table of her lungs, that's it. You know, when next time she crashes, we can't bring her back out of it again. And is, so is, I was just very clear, you know, keep her as doped up as possible. And the nurse said, you know, I'm really happy that you, your family talked about that and you're letting me know your desires because sometimes families tell me we want them awake because we want to talk to them and we want to, we, we, it, it makes them, uh, maybe they have more hope if they're awake. And I guess, you know, I don't think I've given up hope, but. I definitely don't want her to be so scared. And she's very scared when she's awake. And I think that's, that's the hardest thing is to think about how scared she is when she's alone in isolation. Kind of like sort of just drowning in the fluids in her chest, you know? Literally, that's that's how she's dying. That's how you die, you know, from COVID, basically. I mean, if you don't have like a blood clot or like an aneurysm or whatever, some one of the other things that happens. But for people who die from their lungs, you know, being in sort of terrible pneumonia, um, you're basically dying uh, from drowning in the fluid in your chest and then from organ failure. So are you and your siblings, then do you check in with the hospital or are you just waiting for a call? Yeah, I call. I've got a whole schedule. I Oh, yeah, so early on, it's another... Going back to the karaoke part of the story, mm-hmm. when my mom checked into the hospital the second time, she called me up and she said, I want you to be my medical power of attorney. I don't want it to be my husband. So we signed the paperwork over. So I'm her medical power of attorney and decision maker. I'm also the only one that's allowed to get updates from the hospital. Well, and they don't want every family member calling, so they only kind of want the one person who's the contact member. So I call every day uh, after rounds, and I call and every night 
after like after the night nurse comes in and kind of is ready to talk. So it's about 11 a.m. and 11 p.m. I call and then if there's any major differences, they call and call me. And then late now I've added calling at 6 a.m. too because I want to know how she did it overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that useful anymore. Like when we thought that she was getting, there was a chance she was getting better. It's like I was calling to kind of get new information and the nurses were super optimistic and were like, oh, we've totally seen people recover from here and here's good news. But at the same time, it would always be bad news every day. Turn your mom over and she never recovered. Or we lowered her the oxygen and the ventilator and she never recovered. It's like if they touched her, she wouldn't recover. Mm-hmm. So they kind of stopped touching her a couple of days ago. They were like, let's just leave her in the prone position, which, you know, they do that for a lot of COVID positions. So she's, or um, COVID patients. So she's on her belly. You know, I think she's been on her belly right now. I just heard for 24 hours which is actually quite painful on your body and your skin. Um, but it's the best. Her oxygen saturation does the best when she's in that position. Right. Um, but even then, you know, this morning when I ch- talked to the nurse, she said she's in the prone position, which th- there's nothing better than that. Like if they flipped her to her back, she'd get worse. So there's nothing better than that. She's at a hundred percent oxygen. And her saturation level is 90%. So, you know, short of a miracle, and this is what the ICU doctor has told me and and prepared me for, uh, he called yesterday. I've been talking to the nurses so many times every day. They know me. um, That when I got a call from the ICU doctor, and it was a man that called me from the hospital number, I knew right away it was not good news, you know, and he was calling to tell me, it's not good news. Your mom's not getting better. We have nothing else to do. So what we did, um, as we talked about, he was very clear with me that CPR is not going to work if she goes into heart failure. Mm-hmm. So we signed a DNR. Uh, we had a family meeting and yesterday afternoon. And, uh, my mom's wishes, my mom's wishes were to resuscitate. I mean, their mom's wishes were do everything possible unless I'm in a coma, like a persistent vegetative state kind of coma to save me. Right. But we had a, we had a family meeting. Her other wishes were, um, if any decisions get to need to be made, I'd like my husband, my six children and my sister to make the decision. So I've been, you know, the contact point for the doctors, the nurses, the communication point, and then now the mediator for these end-of-life decisions. So um, this is the first one. So we had a family meeting with eight of us. And how did that go? Well, 
I think people had really good questions for the doctor that I hadn't thought of, which I really appreciate because it shows me that there's support and that I'm not alone in this, you know, that there's yeah. curiosity and good questions and real thought put into this. Mm-hmm. So there were some good questions like, um, you know, mom's wishes were do, you know, to resuscitate and, and do, do everything, you know, life-saving throws, basically. Um, and, you know, one of the questions for the doctor was like, would you consider CPR life-saving? And when I called him later to ask him these questions, he was like, no, mm-hmm. CPR is not going to work. But what's happening is people don't want to do a DNR because it's scary. So they're they're saying, please do everything you can to resuscitate, you know, my loved one in the hospital. Well, doing CPR for a COVID patient who's on her stomach and weighs, you know, 300 pounds is not easy. And you could be talking 18 to 30 people and they all potentially risk getting exposed to COVID for like, you know, CPR can take a couple hours. Mm-hmm. And it won't work, you know? And so my, my mom's sister, I think, was the only one who was kind of not comfortable with the DNR. Um, so we, after I talked to, you know, we, after I talked to the doctor, we just had to explain to her really clearly. I know it sounds like we're giving up, but we're not giving up. She, it won't work. You know, once once she's in heart failure, because it's her lungs, it doesn't matter if you bring her heart. She'll just fail again. <laughs> Unless her lungs are better. And here is the doctor saying it's violent, you know, CPR. It's not good. It's not good for anybody mm-hmm. to have to get it. So we did it. You know, we signed it. We signed that order and the doctor said, this is very good. This is what I would do for my mother. And, you know, I just reiterated, I want her to be unconscious and high as a kite and have that be how she goes, you know, peacefully. And the doctor said, I agree with you. That's how, that's what I'd want, you know? So it's hard. It's hard. It's hard it's hard to believe there isn't any you know, it's hard I think it's really hard to hear and accept like there's nothing else to do, you know. Yeah. I'm very struck by the idea of her being on her own. I mean, I, I've spoken to folks who've talked about that experience and, you know, I've seen people talking about the experience of having a loved one and not being able to be there. Yeah. She has six children, adult children um, and grandchildren, all in the same city with her right now. So we could all be at her bedside if it wasn't for COVID. Yeah. And you know what? There's going to be a vaccine in 
you know, let's say within a couple of years, we'll be able to vaccinate the world. And it's like, if she just hadn't gotten sick. Yeah. Now, now she could have potentially have survived through it, you know, or maybe they're going to have even more treatments um, that were better for people who have weak lungs, you know? I mean, that's, that, that's one of the things that is so cruel about the public mishandling of it in the States is just the sheer cruelty of the carelessness with people's lives, you know? Well, you know, my stepfather, I'm so angry with him. I'm so angry. I'm so angry with our Republican governor here who just let things open without telling people, you know, never telling them you need to wear a mask. I'm so angry with the president, stupid Trump, because my stepfather admittedly chose which truths to listen to or not. I mean, not truths, but which information to listen to or not. But he chose, you know, he listened to Trump and he followed Trump and he listened to Ducey and he followed Ducey. And when they said, hey, it's okay if we open bars, he did it. He went out. Now, I don't buy that he was totally unaware because, first of all, I told him straight up about the risks many times. And we sent them, we sent my mom and my stepfather information from the CDC as often as we could. Mm -hmm. And we just didn't believe it. And, uh, he's killed my mom, you know? I mean, she's not gone yet, but. And I think about it that way. I think his actions killed her. And I know it's the virus. And I know she could have gotten, you know, who knows? You'd never be able to prove where she got sick from. And uh, where he got sick from. But, you know, if a person, let's say a person like my, my brother-in-law, he has to go to work. He has to do the family shopping. And he masks. And he keeps distance. And he disinfects. And he washes his hands. But he could still get sick because he's out there in the world, right? He's not just sitting at home. Mm-hmm. If he got sick and my sister got sick and the family got sick, I wouldn't be angry with him him, because I knew that he was taking all the precautions, you know, that the CDC is telling us to take, you know. And you, I think that's part of what I get really upset about people making such bad decisions because... Yes, we we have lack of leadership. Yes, we have people who think it's a political... Like, I think I just heard today, Eric Trump said the coronavirus is going to go away after the election because it's just a democratic ploy for to win the election. Mm-hmm. And I just want to set him on fire, you know, when I hear something like that. So yes, it's politicized. Yes, there's lack of leadership. But also, I'm like... But also, you're dumb. You know, like, this information is out there. How do you not hear no cure, no vaccine? 
highly contagious and not believe that you should probably stay home and like not go to bars, you know? I don't have an answer for that. I don't know. <laughs> um, so when you're in the when you're in the room with them, I, I mean, are you are you able to to talk to him? Uh, who? Your stepdad. Oh my god! Oh my god! I'm the only one, I think, talking to him right now. Of all my siblings, um, I promised that I would, because I was made the power of attorney in getting the updates. I promised I would give him updates about my mom and include him in the information and the decision making. Right. Which really is quite nice of me, considering how angry I am and I, the fact that I want to light him on fire right now. And so I've been using all my sort of professional skills to talk with him. So I talk to him every time I talk to the nurses or the doctors. Mm -hmm. I call him and we talk. Do you think of and him so as, I've a, been able to as, an, as a particularly noxious employee? Yeah, I just think about it as like, yeah, someone I hate at work, but I got to talk to them anyway. And I keep it to the facts, you know. Uh, and he cries every single time. I never cry, but he cries. And I don't really console him too much. I tell him the general kind of, I'm sorry, but I'm not like uh, going to spend a ton of time consoling him. Um, I've mostly been able to keep it together. Uh, the other day, I think it was yesterday, I lost it with him, though. Um, he started, you know, he, we were doing the thing that people, it helps people feel better where we're talking about my mom, uh, you know, being at peace at the end, if she can, and um, joining her father, her sisters, her brother. She's lost a lot of people already. And joining them in heaven and how that's a thing that helps people feel better. And he is saying that, and we were talking about that. And then he said... You know, your mom's had a lot of ailments, you know, in the last few years, and she's had a lot of pain. She has back arthritis, and with her weight, you know, that's been an issue. And so he said to me, maybe this is a good thing that she's dying right now. And I lost it with him. I just went off. Um... I think that's probably one of the worst things I've ever heard him say, as many things as I've heard him say over the years, to try to make himself feel better. That she's dying, knowing that it probably was a result of his risky behavior. Um, so I, you know, I just said, you don't get to do that. You don't get to feel better about her dying. I want you to feel bad about it. <laughs> I do. I want him. I said I will never forget it. I will never forget this, and I never want you to forget it either. I want you to think about this every day, and that's really mean spirited, but also it's true. And I just couldn't hold it back, you know. 
Um, it, it's just been very striking to me that from the time that we spoke first that this had had all happened and that it's just there's this kind of failure to realize that this is a one-way street you know what I mean that's exactly right it's just you know? like it's a one-way street you don't there's no do-over there's no um, it's so final yeah and I think so he's trying to make it not a one-way street and uh in his own ways and um so the silver mining there is once mom's affairs are done with, I won't have to talk to that guy again and for the rest of my life, I hope. Um, but actually, that's not true because my, my mom's been raising my niece. My mom and her husband have been raising my niece since my niece is eight. And they've been raising her since she's been since she was like one or two. Um, so they're her parents, really. It's it's so heartbreaking to see her as well, and to think about her going through the loss of my mom because that's her mom, you know. Yeah. She's known. Um. So. That's where so we're you at. you went. That's exactly right. You know, and I I think for me, I don't think my siblings feel this way, but like my persistent question to myself and thought is like, what do I do? I'm kind of someone who can do pretty well. You know, my job for twenty years was doing incident management, so I sort of get into that mode. But the thing about incident management is like, typically you solve it, you resolve it with positive, you know, outcome. Um, I've never really had to do incident management where after working so hard at the end, you, you feel like, oh, that didn't, we just worked really hard for two weeks and then at the end it all didn't work, you know? Um, so I guess I've never had this feeling before. I've never gone through this kind of experience and I just keep thinking, what do I do? And I think, and like you said, the answer is you wait, you hang out with your siblings, you talk to your friends, go for walks, Go to the pools because it's freaking hot. Take anti-anxiety medication if that's the only thing that can let you sleep, which is what happened to me when she went into the ICU. Um, yeah. And you wait for that phone call. You know, I'm literally just waiting for the phone call right now. Either the phone call that's like, hey, things went really quickly and she's gone. Or the phone call that's like, actually the one that my doctors, or her doctors kind of set up the expectation yesterday that the next phone call is the decision to withdraw care and take her off life support. Right. Yeah. 
So that's kind of where he set expectations of the next decision that we'd have to make if if she didn't um, crash and and have have it go quickly. So. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's like just waiting for a bad call. There is, you know, and I ask him about it. There's a miracle option. COVID is a virus we don't totally understand. Sometimes it gets, does wacky things. There's a miracle option where her lungs get better on their own. Virus goes away. If they can keep her alive long enough. We'll see. We'll see. But right now, I think, you know, I just, oh, I pray, and I don't ever pray, but I pray that she is asleep. And not feeling pain. 